Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Ears International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. There are people outside of this region that are beginning to ask, how did you move from Christianity to kingdom? We're beginning to wake up that this Christianity thing is not exactly what he was after. How did you get a group of people to be okay with the uproar of kingdom? Because kingdom is extremely offensive. And I guarantee you, in most of our churches today, Jesus would not be welcome. Not, not at all. Not the way he walked, not the way that he talked, not the way that he acted, not his mindset, not where he came from. I mean, all of it. So when people are beginning to feel that press, because how many know we're not just, you know, the only ones that are privy to, there's an awakening that's beginning to happen. You can even hear it when they're talking about Phoenix. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not happening within where we're at. It doesn't mean that it can't, but it's not happening because you've got the Kanye West that are, you know, there's the, there's the revivals and the awakenings that are happening because people are beginning to realize there's a reality to who he, who he is and it's not what I've known. And they're waking up out of religion and they're waking up into kingdom and they just don't have the language for it. They don't necessarily have the model for it. We can have, a, I'm gonna just say it, I'm not trying to knock it, but we can have a great stadium service on, on Saturday. And I guarantee you, every single one of you guys that go, you're gonna have a burning and an aching because you're gonna wonder where is the spirit of adoption because all of these young people are gonna go out and where are they going to go? And it is going to burn within you. It's going to be amazing. It's going to set you on fire. It's going to be so awesome. But then we all have to go home and realize that where's the discipleship? Where's the home? Where's the spirit of adoption? I guarantee you they'll even talk about it, but I don't know about the walk about it. So that so we are care when when Missy was talking about getting loud. Don't go there and hide in the crowd. We need to get loud because when we went to this, we went to the exact same. It was the exact same thing in Florida, and it was mesmerizing to have thousands be excited about Jesus and show up early and there was a line for him. I mean, I was like, what? I, I had no idea. But the burning inside me was, this is so awesome and I love the miracles and I love the igniting, but what, where's, the, where's the family? And so be loud about what, what it is that we're walking into, but there is definitely, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that there's a supply. Demand and supply, there's a supply. People are beginning to wake up. People are beginning to say, I don't want this Christianity, I want kingdom. But they're going to need somebody to walk out kingdom, smell like kingdom, talk like kingdom, be kingdom, so that they don't get dispensed another set of laws or another set of an old wineskin or another set of rules or whatever it is that, that's not him. Okay? Okay. Amen. Oh, I feel bad. You need recap. <laughs> All right, so oh, let's see. <laughs> Do your before, thing. <laughs> before we recap, so. And before we recap and get into the foundation, everything, all of these things that we're going to talk about in the last five to seven years, if this is the ground, these things have been happening underground. And during the decade, during the IN decade, when the Lord was causing us to see things 
us ourselves were unseen. We were seeing things. He was showing us things, but we were unseen because everything he was doing was underground because it was foundational because of what he's trying to build. So oftentimes people will get discouraged because God will show you something, but he will take you into a season of being unseen because he's doing foundational Mm -hmm. groundwork, Mm -hmm. right? Because if God shows you something and you're Mm -hmm. on fire about it, he's, you're, you're not, he's showing you something and he's taking you, he's, he's asking you to follow him into a place where he's going to take you through the oil press. Mm-hmm. He's going to build the foundation in you and people aren't going to see you. They're mm-hmm. not going to see what you see. Mm-hmm. Right? So everything that we're going to get into when we talk about the scriptures and the foundations, it's, it's, it's like Apostle Tanya said, you can't make this stuff up. And God's putting literally all the times foundation is mentioned in the scripture characterizes the last five to seven years that we've walked out. We just didn't necessarily... We, we didn't plan a sermon and say, okay, this is the plan for the last <laughs> five to seven years, and this is what we're going to walk out. It doesn't work that way, right? So maybe I'll just I'll summarize these. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 3, and then we'll recap. Does that make sense about God showing you something, giving you vision, giving you that, even that spark of life? And a lot of people will get discouraged because they feel like I'm so passionate about this and I'm by myself, right? I'm fighting this battle by myself. And it's because people that are up, people aren't going to see it. They're not going to see the work that God's doing in you, right? Be encouraged about that. You want me to read them? Yeah, go and Then ahead. you can talk about them? All right, First Corinthians, I wrote this down. I thought it was so awesome. I had a daughter text me, can you please give me the scriptures you're gonna to give tonight? Because I feel like I wanna eat them first. And so it was awesome to be able to have that. So she was actually like, I can't get past this one. And so I'm gonna read more than just um, uh, chapter three, verse 11. So First, first Corinthians three eleven, And again, I wanna just reiterate what he was saying. When you look up all the places where it talks about foundation, What we did was we just basically picked out the five areas where it really hits foundation and really then pulled from that. What is, what is a foundation? Right when it says on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. What's the rock? I mean, not raise your hand, Jesus. That's not what I mean. But if I am, if I am going to be erected, catch this, because we're going to get into this with the ministry of reconciliation. All of a sudden you're about to be seen. What happened to all of the apostles and the disciples when they, beca- when they became seen? We're going to get into that about walking, walking in him. But when you, when you become seen, you need to make sure that that foundation has been, eat, it's in you, that you have become that foundation. So when we looked at the scriptures for foundation, these were the scriptures. And these are just some, basically, let me just go through them. The first one is going to talk about Christ. Christ is our foundation, right? But we're going to read intensely what that means. The second one, Ephesians 2.20, is home. That one's apostles and prophets. Oh, sorry, I mixed them up. Will you switch that then? I was going to say, Ephesians 2.20 is actually an extension of what we talked about with the ministry of reconciliation. So after you look at the ministry of reconciliation, then it moves into the foundation. It talks about apostles and prophets. So you have Christ as the foundation. You have apostles and prophets as the foundation. 
Then you've got Luke 6.48. That talks about digging deep to build a home because it talks about dwelling. Okay? That's another foundation. Hebrews 11.10. It's showing you the concept that he's regional. In that, in that scripture, Hebrew, uh, Abraham looked for a region. He looked for a city where God was the foundation. What, what does that mean? It means that he, he, it's, it's beyond ourselves, that he can be foundational regionally. Location is where that's going. Hebrews 6.1 is repentance. Repentance is an elementary thing in that scripture, but it's still foundational. And we're going to get into that when we talk about the law of righteousness. So, again, home with dwelling, apostles and prophets, Christ, regional, and repentance are all our underground work. All of our, I mean, there's a lot more, but for the sake of tonight, that is what is foundational. So when we read these, that's, what, that's what's coming out. Apostles and prophets. Did you want to read it? Sure. I'm just trying to think of where to start. <clears throat> do First uh, Corinthians well, I did, 3 I, and then do 10 through 17. 10 through 17? Okay. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. (laughs) Are you guys loving the word? I mean, I don't even, but you know before when it was like, uh, at least for, I don't, maybe you guys never dealt with this, but it was like, uh, the Bible app is reminding me that I need to do my checklist. I don't really want to do that. And now I just read one sentence, and I'm, I'm out. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. It's kind of like what Tyler was talking about. At the end of the day, once you build on that foundation, you can't go back and blame the surveyor. (laughs) He did not know what we were preaching. This is what is so amazing when we're all just flowing in it. All right, next one. Oh, I should probably turn there. <laughs> All right. Ephesians 2:20 and you guys remember that the last time we taught on the ministry of, ministry of reconciliation the main scripture was Ephesians 2:14 through 18. So you're kind of just you're seeing a building upon all of this. So we'll just I'll just do this one kind of quickly. Um Ephesians 2:20 Actually, I'll go back to 19. So then you actually let's go to 18. Oh, man. Okay. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Remember when he said, I'll meet you there? You got one side, then the other side, then there's his side. All right. Access to the Father through one spirit. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. How many times have we read that scripture? And isn't it alive now? You know, versus, you know, we're all, you know, we're all unified. Let me just give a little bit, I want to, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more, but I want to just point out, when it says holy temple there, 
There's two different words for temple. That temple is the holy of holies. So when it says that, when it's talking about that kind of temple, it's talking about the, his holy dwelling, the holy of holies. The other thing is, is did you guys know that Jesus is the cornerstone? Do you guys know what cornerstone means? It means, it, there's a couple of different ways to look at it, but we're gonna go real deep, okay? So cornerstone is the outermost angle. It also is the innermost angle. How, okay. But when you go deeper into the, into the etymology of the one word, it means a bent knee. So when you are lining and plumb lining against the one that is the outer and most inner angle, the bent need one. It just, it just changes everything when we start talking about structure. So I wanted to point that out with him being the cornerstone. All right. All right, and then Luke 6, 48. I thought we were going to like tag team, so you'd look up the next one, then I'd look up one. <laughs> Sorry. Right. I was just six forty-eight. All right. mesmerized by your... It's like focus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. What am I doing? <laughs> Luke 6. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Why? Because there was action to what they had been teach, te what he had been teaching. He said, if you hear my words and you do them, that's what happens. Okay? There's the foundation. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Amen. So that is the home, right? It's the actions, the digging deep of, of, of a home and talking about dwelling. All right, what's the next one? Hebrews. All right. Hebrews 11.10. This is the one where it was talking about him being regional, right? For he was looking, okay, by faith Abraham obeyed. I'm in verse 8. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive at his inheritance, as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I'm going for the inheritance and I have no idea where I'm going. Sound familiar? <laughs> By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Inheritance can be regional and the designer and builder can be God. Amen? Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction of washing and laying on of hands. Basically, this is saying that we should be seeing people raised from the dead and that's milk. But what that, what that point is, is that, that it is foundational that repentance 
remember that what we're beginning to see erected is built on a foundation, it doesn't mean the foundation's no longer there. It doesn't mean that Christ isn't our cornerstone. It doesn't mean that he's not, you know, Christ isn't the, are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Repentance is always there, but we're moving on beyond elementary things, but that doesn't mean that the elementary there is a word that is dishonorable. It's like when we were studying about women and it says that, uh, that they are the most, um, oh, what is that word? They are the weakest. Women are the weakest. And people run with that. Women are weak. That word means the most inward parts, the most protected, actually the most needed. It's the heart is what keeps you alive. You can burn your skin. Your heart, does that make, the most inward parts is the most sacred, not necessarily the weakest in the sense of the way that we see that word. So moving on beyond elementary things, he's building upon it, but the foundation is repentance. Amen? All right. So we felt led to really give this broad perspective so that everybody, no matter how long you've been here or not been here, you can kind of locate yourself with where we've been, right? Whether you've actually been here or not, doesn't matter. When we talk about these foundational things, it really summarizes, and by the way, when you just research this word foundation, these are the principles that the scripture talks about. And so I can go back and I can remember when, when that spark of life started to happen and we were getting so passionate and so fired up about filthy rags, right? In Zechariah 3, there's a story where Joshua has a vision, whether it really happened or whether it was a vision, I'm not really sure, but he takes his filthy rags that he acknowledged into the throne room where the devil's accusing him day and night, right, about his filthy rags, and he takes it in and submits it to the Lord and, and activates Christ on his behalf because he says, all I have is these filthy rags. This is all I have to offer you, and I'm going to give them to you, right? It's a totally different posture then when you're operating in a lawless or, or excuse me, in a place that's like the law or religion or it, maybe it has an inclination towards, I have my filthy rags, but I'm going to try to clean them up. I'm going to try to make them, I'm going to try to present my filthy rags as there's something else than other than filthy rags. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to try to make these filthy rags. I'm going to try to clean them up, make them presentable, make them look good while I'm standing up here and not acknowledge my filthy rags. Whereas Joshua said, all he took his filthy rags as an offering while the devil was accusing him day or night, right? And you go back to the foundation of Christ. And that's when Christ started stripping this ministry naked. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like, just like Yeshua approached Joshua and stripped him of his filthy rags because he presented them to him. Now, let's make sure we understand nationally and internationally what's happening. We believe that we are not the only ones, but we are forerunning a model. So when he says that the ministry was stripped of filthy rags, it's not personal that the part of the ministry that we've all come from was filthy. The whole church is filthy, right? In, in context to what it is that he wants to wake us up to when it comes time to kingdom, the whole church is sick. 
So it's it's a it is a it is a model, and I and model is kind of a weird word, but it is a process that he began with with vessels who were willing to pay the price and the cost to go through all of that is what the entire body is going through, will go through, or needs to go through. That stripping process. You've been seeing it a lot. There's been a lot of words. We're tired of the entertainment. I said that five years ago and I got like stoned because that was, you have to have three songs. You, ha- you, have, to enter- you have to entertain these people or they'll leave. And I know because when there was no more entertainment, <laughs> but, but, but that is what people are saying now. People are getting tired of the entertainment. They're getting tired of the hospitals. They're getting tired of the needy. They're, getting, they're starting to feel a stirring and they're starting to say things that we've seen. And yet we did go through that process and it's going to be an example and a strength for others when they are going to go through that same process because how many of us know when the filthy rags came off it is not easy and yet it is right so what happened is just like what Tyler talked about there was a benchmark right is that what you said that when they set the pins Christ is the cornerstone so the corner we were we were being brought back to the cornerstone for everything to be measured up against and when that happened, right, just like we said, we, we had been shown something. We, we've seen things, which is the prophetic office. We were seeing things from his perspective. And the apostolic office was the gifting that was needed to set things in order. A gifting strong enough. And, and when we talk about the body of Christ in general goes through phases and seasons and things like that. Some things are, are highlighted or elevated or more strong than other offices. Um, but in, in our particular history, God was restoring the element of apostolic and prophetic almost to the point to where you can, you can pastor people to death. You can pastor people in their filthy rags. Right? I'm not knocking the pastoral because all of the gifts are necessary. They're all needed in their fullness, working together as one, as one collective operation. As a household. So, like Ephesians 2.20, sa- 220 mm-hmm. says, the apostles and the prophets are the foundation with Christ as the cornerstone. So you can see how how the father was starting to really rebuild and really get things back into alignment. Okay. Then when you talk about the home and the, in the depth of the digging and, and things, a house being built that can withstand the disruption, that is what he's doing. And that's why it's okay to be unseen. If God gives you a vision, just anticipate that there's going to be a time. He's shown me so many things that I get so fired up about, and I've had to learn to just stay, just lean into what he's showing me and let him work it out in me because I can't get frustrated that it's not, being, it's not coming to fruition to where people can see it. Be encouraged if he shows you something and he starts challenging you and he starts bringing the chaos and the destruction, because, and we'll get into this because he's testing you. He's building your care. He's building the strength in the unseen place. So then, so then when it's seen, 
and the, and the disruption comes, you're not going anywhere. When the fire comes, you're just getting more refined, but you're not getting burnt down to the ground. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can, see these, you can see these things have been taking place in the last five to seven years. Then he talks about in Hebrews 11, I want to find a city that's built on the foundation of God. <laughs> Amen? And then repentance. I mean, we, we could... I mean, you can't, if you go through this whole process and you don't have an attitude of repentance and you don't, you don't operate in repentance and you don't, you don't walk that out, you don't live that, you're not going to replicate, you're not going to point people back to Christ. Because ultimately, when they look at Christ, there's a breach, right? Because he's over here and you're over here and you have to repent to, to reconcile. You have to be reconciled to him. <laughs> I just, I didn't see this until now, but... Look at even just the foundational scriptures and the order that they're in. Getting back to the cornerstone. So that the father and mother can be reestablished in the home. I mean, if the apostles and prophets were the foundations, what were they? And yes, there were women apostles. Just that meaning that 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 oversight. I mean, you guys, that mothering and fathering. It was an oversight, but it was foundational. It came underneath to be able to build up their children. The Timothys, come on, Timothys, and the Ephesus church was not a local church. It was a city. It was it. Was, the Ephesus church was a whole city. It wasn't a church. So. Christ, we had to get back to the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone so that the father and mother can take their place in the home to be able to get back to the regional mindset, to be able to turn regions into repentance back to Christ. That was good. (laughs) So when we look at, so this, like I said, this helps us locate kind of where we're at in, in what the Lord has been doing. In all of this, we've, we have been led by the Spirit and walked through these things. And it's one of those things where the Lord sends you out, ultimately where he wants to go, but he sends you first. Right? And so we didn't know. I'll meet you there. We didn't know what, you know, but now he's putting language to it because it's the, the era of the mouth. Okay, so then this was all underground work. Okay, for the last five to seven years, we can attest, many can attest to the fact that people would come to my face and ask me, what are you guys even doing over there? Right? We don't, we don't see you guys doing anything. Right? And it's not, most times you can't. Most times, it, it, when, it's, when it says don't cast your pearls before swine, most times you can't, you can't necessarily articulate what's happening down here to people that are looking up here. Mm-hmm. But now mm-hmm. God's putting language to it because mm-hmm. now that he's starting to build that yes. first ground level yes. and people want to come ask you about it. Yes. And, and we had a question. Well, when people ask what's going on, what is the family about? He's giving us the roadmap, yeah. the blueprint, the language. I can look at a blueprint and not understand anything about it. Tyler could look at it. John could look at it and say, here's the cornerstone. Here's the benchmark. Here's the measurements. And they can read it all day long. Right? God's given us the language of the blueprint that we've been walking out. But here's the thing. The blueprint, I can't. I'm looking up there. Like he said, I can't read it. But when they start building, 
I can absolutely see the blueprint they've been operating from, and it's gorgeous. Not only can I see it, I can feel it, I can touch it, I can live in it, I can dwell in it, I can imagine, I can dream in it, right? But in the beginning, that blueprint, forget it. What have we been talking about for the last how many years? Blueprints. The blueprint from heaven, even when it was handed to us, remember it was blank? I don't know if you guys remember this. We got a blank blueprint from heaven, and he said, the moment you put heat and pressure on it, I'll reveal that part. Then you lift up your finger, and it went deleted. And then you put your finger down, and then he said, and that was what we did for a while, the blueprint. Nobody could read the blueprint where we're beginning to build and erect something that people are going to tangibly see. So when Missy's talking about that door, the invitations are going to go out, and they're going to get loud, and we're going to have an actual doorway for them to come into and dwell because it's going to be built on that foundation. Thank God for the mouth of pay. So now, so starting in 5780, September 29th was the last day of the last decade. And then God starts putting words to ground level building that, that is starting to be erected that people can now see. You guys have all this? So, so he's about, he's, he's the beginning, the dropping of number three. So that room, that wall, that level one, it's going to be just as strong as blood versus blood. So you guys ready? <laughs> so, so just to quickly recap blood versus blood, when you look at the Old Testament, lineage, lineage was emphasized. Anytime there was a prophet or uh, somebody um, called to correct somebody or bring some word to a region or kings or judges that were established. There was either a lineage of priesthood or a lineage of a family, and it was emphasized. It was traced back. It was important, right? Whereas when you go to the New Testament, Yeshua in his blood and the transaction that takes place in Christ, there's no Lineage. In fact, when it talks about the order of Melchizedek, it's a priesthood that has no beginning or no end. No mother, no father. There's no, there's no lineage. His blood is it, right? So in that, there's that before we even got to the ministry of reconciliation, there's already a breach mm-hmm. that's caused, right? When, when Yeshua was in the temple and his family was knocking and he said, you're no longer my family anymore, that's that's a breach right there's like he's stepping over here and now there's this breach in the wall and then we go on to the ministry of reconciliation that everybody's been given apostle paul talks about it everybody's been given the ministry of reconciliation and it's clear how critically important it is how we respond to breaches because they're opportunities right every breach is an opportunity do you have anything you wanted to add to that? As far as recap? Just, yeah, I'm just trying to. Mm. No, I think that, I, well, the blood, the blood versus blood, the main thing that was released during that time, again, just to repeat, was the powerful word that came when you read the very first gospel and it goes through Jesus' lineage and then it stops there. And then you never see a bloodline reintroduced for any for anything, leadership, let alone any anything. There's never a bloodline that's reintroduced. 
it's, it's him. And then he begins, that's why I said he's offensive, because then he begins a process of just uproaring everything that was known before. And again, he's the fulfillment, he's the fulfillment of it, right? It's not, it's not that blood's not important. I think that that whole proverb is so powerful. Blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. But I haven't been able to amen that for like seven years because it was like blood's not thicker, you know, because the whole concept was blood's thicker than water, meaning if we're not built by, you know, natural blood, then whatever. But if, if that's where the proverb came from, is that the covenant blood is thicker than the womb of the water or the water of the womb? His blood is stronger than the womb water. Are you guys understanding that proverb? We've been saying blood is thicker than water, and we're like, eh, that doesn't sit right. And then when you look at the origin of it, it's like, blood is thicker than water. <laughs> but it's that blood versus blood. We're, we're, it's talking about the bloodline. And, and, and like I released, even my natural born, they came out of my womb. They definitely came out of my womb. Most of you guys saw it. You, <laughs> most of you guys saw all the water. Even them. Because we're, you know, because this can get, there's multi-dimensions. We're talking about apostles and prophets and mom and dads. They have a choice, just like all of us, to walk in a new bloodline. They can choose my anxiety, my old anxiety. They can, cho- they can choose my, the, my, in my bloodline, OCD. They can choose hypertension. They can choose o- obesity. They can choose addiction. Did you have any issues? I'm like, I'm like, is it all me? They can choose self-righteousness. I mean, we can go down the line. <laughs> Anyways, they have a choice to walk in kingdom and walk in that new bloodline. Amen? And so again, that's what that's talking about. That's a tangible example of blood is thicker than water or blood versus blood is that even in them, they have a choice to walk kingdom or they can walk like a PK. Same thing. They can walk by religion. They can walk by kingdom. They can walk by family or they can walk in bitterness. It, it, it's, they, everyone, everyone has that choice. And so that blood versus blood is really hitting up against some things when we begin to operate with the expression of the fullness that when Jesus came, his bloodline, it's it. Do we believe by the spirit of adoption that we are in his family? But we've preached it for how many years? But to walk it out is what he's talking about automatically causes a breach. Because if you actually eat the word and the word becomes flesh, you have to reconcile the issue of blood versus blood. Especially when you grow up in certain families. Right? I mean, certain families are, that blood versus water thing is big. And it's completely twisted version of what the actual meaning means. Right? So when you're actually, when you're walking that out on a daily basis and you have to, Basically, what happened was he released the word blood versus blood, and it automatically exposed a breach. So then we had to preach on the ministry of reconciliation. <laughs> that wasn't planned. But all of a sudden, the ministry of reconciliation became really important because some big old breaches came up. We start preaching blood versus blood. We've been talking about this for seven years, but all of a sudden, it's like, mm, hold on a second. I think, Tyler, is that all right to say about, you asked if, can you be... I'm already saying it, so I'm in it. <laughs> Tyler really, 
I mean, Tyler has totally, he's like, he's like, oh my gosh, I don't hate mornings, and this is family, and we're going to do this. And he's still, as of recent, as of this month, is like, wait a minute. So you're saying that Jalen can be as important as me. Now, that's just not true. And I'm like, what? And, and it, breach, ministry of reconciliation, right? It exposes, okay, we've been saying it, but now we're getting a language to ask certain questions that start to reveal, wait, hold on a second. Or, I mean, anyways, you guys all know those examples that have been coming up in us of what does that mean and what does that look like? And again, what it's doing is it, it, it's, it's creating a breach because it's bringing up anything that isn't of him in our foundation. Because ultimately what that question was exposing is that if he believes that there is a difference between him and Jalen, then that means that there's a breach in our relationship because he thinks that there's something different between me and someone else. Right? But yet if we're going to do this thing and we're going to walk it out and people are going to begin to see it, don't we want to hit on those breaches? Not because there's a right or a wrong, but because we need to grind that out to really figure out what does the spirit of adoption mean? What does it mean to be in Jesus's family? What does that mean? What does that look like? We, I mean, we've talked about this. You guys all amen when we say church member to family, right? We got done with the whole no more church members. I can't do anything with a million church members. I can do something with one family member. I can do something that has his DNA with one person. Jesus did it with 12, he, 11. He had 11 that had his blood. Flipped the world upside down, right? So you can't do anything with a million church members, right? We all amen that. And what's happening now is blood versus blood is like, ooh, you meant that in me? You meant that in I'm not a church member? Wait a second. I thought I had church member status. Jalen had son status. Wait a second. We're going to have to reconcile this now because we just said no church member. We said family. Well, what does that mean? And that's okay. It's, we're supposed to grind into that. So what happened is blood versus blood comes out, and then now all of a sudden we need the ministry of reconciliation, right? So then recap of ministry of reconciliation. Do your whole meet you there thing. That was good. <laughs> so when you have dividing walls of hostility, right, whether it's marriage, relationships, whatever it may be, work, whatever it is, when there's a dispute and there's a dividing wall of hostility, the only way to deal with that is to meet in a common place in Christ. That's the only way to deal with it because it's not you're right or I'm wrong or vice versa. It's one new thing that's being created. And the only way to do that is to, is to meet in that common place, which is Christ. That's the only way to reconcile truly. Now, what's interesting is I think most people in here probably are on Kingdom Air's Vox and probably heard Sally's testimony, and it's a good example of how breaches are caused because if this box was Sally and she has his blood running through her veins literally, you're a new creation. But on the outside, you still look like Sally. You still look like, you're, you know, your, your mom still sees you as Sally. She doesn't necessarily know or may not necessarily know. And this goes back to... Uh, when we talk about Samuel and David, and he went down the, the line of the first seven brothers, and the Lord said, don't judge on the outward appearance, because the Lord judges the heart of a matter, right? And so Samuel wasn't looking at the outward appearance. He wasn't looking at their stature, what they looked like. He was looking at the heart of the issue, which is why he chose David. 
right? So when you are a new creation and you continue existing in a place that people have known you, they've looked at you the same way all the time, it causes a breach when what's inside of you starts coming out. And it doesn't, it doesn't line up with whatever used to come out of you before, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's a very practical example of when you're a new creation, different foreign things are going to start coming out of you that people aren't going to recognize. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, Jojo, what's going on with you? Because last week we were hanging out doing whatever. And now you're not good with, you're not okay with that? Like, you know what I mean? And you're going to have to reconcile that, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that, part of that reconciliation is how we walk. And we, we've heard it a, a million trillion times about walking, you know, don't just talk. You got to walk it out or whatever, you know, things. And it just gets so watered down that, uh, maybe we don't fully understand it, just like reconciliation, just like having his blood, just like being transformed by his blood. One of, there was a conversation I had recently um, with somebody who came to the church, and I had a long conversation with them. And one of the things that they said that they were concerned about is they're like, you guys are so like lofty in advance. That's what he said. And he's like, I'm just concerned. People are going to come in, and they're just going to be like, ah, it's too, it's too up here for me. And I told him, I said, that's a, that's a huge misconception. And it just goes to show something because God has been taking us back to the garden. He's been taking us back to the origin. He's been stripping everything off of us to get us back to the benchmark. So everything that we're preaching on is actually uh, fundamental and rudimentary. It's basic. Elementary. It's simple. Right? <laughs> and it just goes to show if somebody thinks we're like way up here, what does that mean? If we're really not way up here, we're just going back to basics. What does that really mean? And so I want to talk about walking in him, and I want to talk about how important it is. Just like with reconciliation, one of the things that I said towards the end of that was that not everyone will grab a hold of that word and walk out of this building different, living their life different. It's just not it's just not going to, I don't, I guess I don't want to speak that because maybe it's on a bigger level now to where if you looked at the city, not everybody's going to do it, but there are those who will do it. Okay. But it was more coming out of a press or a challenge of people examining their own hearts of what am I going to do with this word? Because I'll tell you what, once the standard, if there's a standard presented and you don't walk it out, it leaves a vacuum for lawlessness and rebellion. Mm-hmm. If you present a standard, right, it's a breach. What are you going to do with the breach? If I present a standard from the Bible, from the word, from the living word, and I say, this is what it says, and now you have a standard that you've been presented with, and you don't walk it out, you're leaving yourself open to lawlessness and rebellion and havoc. Right? So... No, just know when you come in here, just know when you come in here, there's going to be a standard presented that I am going to have to reconcile, right? Because a breach is going to be caused and I'm going to have to minister in reconciliation and I'm going to have to walk it out. And remember okay? in, minist- in the ministry of reconciliation, when he was talking about meet, meet him there, there's one side of looking at a situation and then there's the other side of looking at a situation. And I want you guys to write the scripture down. I wrote them all down last time. 
but this one is 1 Corinthians 10.32. It's an interesting scripture because he says, I will not be offended by the Greeks or the Jews, Gentiles or Jews, or the ecclesia of God. What that's showing is that it was creating a third people group. So what it's saying is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, because in him, that when that dividing wall of hostility is taken, something is replaced. But what he's talking about, about how not everyone is gonna grab a hold of it, an example would be, a tangible example would be, not the actual example, but a tangible example would be like Jacob and Gavi. We minister on the ministry of reconciliation and then we can spend hours with them in their living room talking about what that looks like for them in a practical way. So you can't take a sermon and just be like, oh, sounds good, because there is a practicality of walking out the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what that's gonna look like. Dividing wall of hostility, there's one view over here, one view over here. Take this to any situation you've got going on right now where there's two viewpoints. If you want to operate the ministry of reconciliation, what that means is that dividing wall of hostility becomes you. Because you, the word became flesh, you have Christ in you, that third creation, right, is the ecclesia, the governmental family, it's in him. So when he said, you can view it that way, you view it that way, I will go in him and I'll wait for you there. What that means is that dividing wall of hostility that's, that's building that division, it actually means you are going to be crushed when that wall goes down, you become that rock. You become that foundation for something to be built from so something new can be completely birthed. Remember when I talked about ministry of reconciliation, that's gonna die and that's gonna die so that he can live. So what ultimately happens in your life is when there's a dividing wall of hostility, what ends up happening is you become the crushing point. You become the, you become the dividing wall that gets torn down in you so that something new can be birthed and there would be a new creation. So it's hard to explain that without practical examples, but I mean that like as a tangible way. Any one of you, we can minister out of the ministry of reconciliation and still spend hours sitting with someone talking about what does it look like to actually operate in the ministry of reconciliation. Does that make sense? That, that, and he'll get into it because I had you guys read Acts. Remember when I told you, I think it was Acts 27? where Paul, you walk, and he's gonna get into this about the walk, but Paul actually went into the temple and brought a, 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 a somebody from Ephesus. And because of that, and his association, association with that person, they weren't allowed to sit with one another. They were over there, and the Jews were over here. So Paul is going into the temple. He starts touching the wall of division by doing something crazy, by bringing someone to the temple. And he starts touching something. Well, what happens? He gets imprisoned. So when you begin to touch that wall, the ministry of reconciliation actually means if you're in him, it's you that becomes that dividing wall that dies because if you can do it, then that means the wall is gone because you destroyed it and then something else can be birthed in its place. That is the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? And then, and, and, uh, and again, like I said, the 1 Corinthians 10.32 is talking about the third, basically three perspectives. You've got Greek, Gentile, ecclesia, governmental family, and it's walking in that that is going to birth that new creation. Sorry, and just Acts 21, 27 through 29 is the story where Paul touches the wall and then a riot 
is out and he gets in prison for touching it. <laughs> so, yay, Minister of Reconciliation, you're going to prison. Mm-hmm. That was a segue to so, walking in him. <laughs> I believe tonight, like, go back and listen to this later because I believe that we're saying things that are going to locate you or locate certain dynamics that are operating or it's going to identify certain things in your life that may be happening and cause breakthrough because this is what happens in the absence of the apostolic right like in acts 21 Mm -hmm. when apostle paul goes into the the gates of the temple and there's an inner court and an outer court and it's separated by a four-foot wall Mm -hmm. and the jews say gentiles stay over there you're second class citizens You can be in the temple, but you got to stay on the outside. And the Jews are going to stay on the inside, and it's delineated by this wall of hostility. And in the absence of the apostolic, that can continue to happen, Mm -hmm. right? And think about this in your own life, okay? When the apostolic comes in, it's going to touch things that people don't want to be touched, because without the apostolic, you can, ha- you can have your offense, your division, your disagreement, yeah. as long as you stay over there and I stay over here. Yep. Right? As long as this thing stays on the outside, I'm not going to let it in close. Mm-hmm. Right? And the apostolic says, I'm coming and I'm going to touch the things that people don't want me to touch because it's uncomfortable for them. Yeah. Which is the church at large, right? You stay over there while we stay over here and we'll just do our own thing. And the apostolic, the foundation of apostolic and prophetic is I see something, I see kingdom, I see regional, I see larger. And then the apostolic comes in and says, let's get rid of the dividing wall. So So then what happens? Don't think about the person, Paul. Think about the gifting of the apostolic. So then when you come in, in that authority, and you start touching the thing that needs to be demolished to bring unity, when you start touching that, what happens is people want to confine you to a place and watch you and keep you there. Yeah. They want to put you in a little box. Yeah. And they want to confine you, and they're going to set guards, they're going to set watches to to, to watch you and keep you there so you can no longer do what you were trying to do. Right? That's the prison part. Did you guys catch that? You have the apostolic in you. You touch something that nobody else wants touched because it's <laughs> giving them comfort. It's giving them their, you know, it's giving them their whatever that's giving them. You come in and you touch it, and then those people basically want to confine you into a place and watch you stay ungifted or not being able to, util- you know, not be able to do what it is that he's called you to do, and then also set up watches to watch you. Because when you're in prison, there's guards. So when you see a vision, right, when you have a spark of life or a prophetic vision and God, God aligns the apostolic along with that as a foundational thing when he shows you something, be prepared because you're going to see things that need to be touched that people don't want you to touch. Right, And when you start operating in it, don't be surprised when they say, no, no, you, your gift is awesome, but do it in this little box. Right? Does <laughs> that sound familiar? Do it, to that group do it in there. the little box. <laughs> do it to them over there. Right? And that's fine. That's okay. Because ultimately, God is going to give you a little box anyway, and he's going to call you to stand in the little box 
right? And ultimately, an earthquake's going to come, and it's going to destroy the prison around you, and you're going to walk out, and you're going to do what he asks you to do anyway. Now you go back to but, that other sermon. Stand, remember the tape? But hear that, though, because that's what God has called this house to, mm-hmm. was the apostolic and the prophetic. And we've seen that walked out in the city where we're just out of innocence or naivety or whatever, right? In the last season, we're, we're like, oh, this is the dividing wall of hostility, and we're starting to tear, tear it down. And people are like, no, 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 you stay over here with that gift. You stay over there. Watch him. Keep watch over that gifting. We don't want that gifting tearing down the dividing wall and causing discomfort and causing us to have to reconcile. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And remember, reconciling was two ways. Do you guys remember the cross? The ministry of reconciliation is very bold. It is vertical with God. You reconcile yourself with him and with people. So don't get all religious on me and be like, well, I just got to reconcile myself with God and then I'm good. It is both. The ministry of reconciliation is vertical and lateral. So when, when he's talking about the confinement, it is, it, there is a reconciling that is going to come with him and his ways and with his children. So when we talk about walking this out, think about, I had never thought about this until earlier today. And I was searching how many miles did Jesus walk in his lifetime? How many miles did he, did he walk? Right. Literally. I mean, that's how all that's how the spirit will lead me. I'm like, what does it look like to walk it out? Right. You think it would be this deep metaphorical thing. And he's like, <laughs> look up. How many miles did Yeshua literally walk? <laughs> <laughs> and it, there, there were some different answers. They were all kind of in the same arena. But basically, they said they estimated in Yeshua's lifetime, he walked about 25,000 miles, which is enough to walk around the globe once. Uh, certain assignments he would go on would be a 240-mile round trip. They, they estimated daily he was averaging 25 miles a day. Talk about hands and feet not being numb. <laughs> and when you look at his walk to do it, and you understand how necessary and how critical the walk is to the ministry and to the gospel, I mean, what if what if the Lord told us every day, just for the next week, <laughs> you had to walk to Williams and back to go deliver, to go carry a word or a healing or a prayer? or laying hands on somebody, every for the next seven days, you need to walk to Williams and back to carry the gospel to Williams. Because in that time, all they could do is walk. We're concerned about driving to Walmart. Right? What I mean, that's just, just think about that. And sometimes in the, in the terrain wasn't, it's not, we could walk down I-40, Right. And that would be a lot easier than the terrain. They had to traverse mountains, valleys, all of this type of thing with inclement weather and all this stuff. And they had to do it. It was a critical part of the gospel. You had to walk it out. You had to. Right. And the word walk is is peripateo. Okay, And this is a Greek word, but in the Hebrew, walking means life. Walking is equivalent to life. Okay. 
It also means seeking opportunity. Peripateo means seeking opportunity. So if you're not walking out the things that he's showing you, you're, you're not seizing the opportunities that he's giving you. And it also means walking in conformity of union with him. Amen. Yeshua is a savior who walked. <laughs> I mean, literally. He walked the earth, literally. 25 miles a day. Conformity in him. Conformity in him. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, this is a, another interesting thing about him walking, right? There's two ways that he walked. A lot of the ministry with the disciples, he was walking, you know, however many miles to this city and that city to go on assignment with what the father was showing him. Uh, most of where he walked in his public ministry, right? And when you talk about the foundational things that have been seen underground, it's as if that's the part of our ministry that's been unseen, right? Now we're transitioning into public ministry, which means there's going to be a walk that's going to be very critical to the ministry that he's given us. In the public ministry that Yeshua did, 70% of it, the majority of it was around the Sea of Galilee. Now, let me, I'm going to read some, just some facts about Galilee. And I didn't know any of this either. But 11, at least 11, maybe 12 of the apostles were all Galileans. Okay, this is a this is a sea or a lake about 70 miles wide. Okay, if you look at it on a map, it's just a dot on a map. It's a, huh? How do you spell Galilee? <laughs> that's an I right there. Oh, I? That's two, it? Two eyes. That's an I. Oh, that's an I too. Linda. Just kidding. So just think about this, right? 70% of his public ministry took place around Galilee. Most, if not all, the apostles were Galileans. 19 of the 32 parables were spoken at Galilee. Three of the four gospels focused on Galilee. 25 of the 33 miracles took place at Galilee, and 70% of his public ministry was there. Okay, now another interesting thing is that the Lord was strategic, right? It's If you just look at... The nation of Israel, Galilee is like in the middle of nowhere. But when you look at it on a global scale, mm. there were trade routes and, and commerce routes that went right through the Sea of Galilee that connected Africa, Asia, and Europe. Mm. In that time, every, everything commercial globally, everything travel-wise and trade-wise globally intersected on Galilee. Okay. And so when the Lord would do these things, when Yeshua would do these things, the whole world was passing through here witnessing what he was doing. Mm. Okay. Think about Flagstaff. Think about the mm -hmm. nations that come through Flagstaff. Right? Intersect. We're just we're just northern Arizona, right? We're just a little 60,000 population city in northern Arizona, right? Out in the middle of nowhere. But Nations come here. We're, we're a major intersection of a corridor for our nation. If you look at drug trafficking, for instance, a huge portion 
of illegal drugs that come into this country come right through Milton and I-40 because of the, the nature of the intersection that we're sitting on. Okay? Now, before I read the, the, the parable that I want to read. Are you going to say what Galilee means? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right? Like, anytime you read the word, look at what everybody's name means, every location, look it up. What does it mean? Because there's more, it brings more to the story. Okay? So, Galilee means wheel. Right? Kind of weird. Right? But it also... No, it's not weird. Oh, I thought it was weird. When I said... <laughs> you guys remember the wheel? Oh, man. So, but what it also means is revolution, because what a wheel does is inherent in a wheel operating produces revolution. So... When he chose his disciples, right, they were Galileans, but you could also say they were revolutionaries. This stuff just gets me, I mean, this just gets me fired up because I'm a disciple. I'm a Come revolutionary. Yes. He said that to me before, but I didn't know that. Now you're from the tribe of Judah and a Galilean. I'll read this. Go to, uh, so remember that context because when you hear about Galilee, that, I mean, this was the father, there's, it's just so ordained, everything that's happening. Let's go to Matthew 14. I want to talk about walking. Verse 22, Matthew 14, 22. guys there there okay it says jesus walks on water okay so it's (laughs) like i'm just thinking of this in simple terms as he's leading me through this right there's two places he walked on land and on water okay (laughs) says immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side remember i said when the lord has something for you and he's discipling you and you're following him, a lot of times that might look like you going before him to get to where you're going, right? Like you're following him, but you might actually go first, right? He sent the disciples before him. And that's not just because this parable, think about the women when they saw him, he said, you go Mm -hmm. to the disciples and I'll meet you there. Yeah. There was a trusting of you go, and then I'll meet you there. Remember that whole, I'll meet you there? So he had, in the, in the prior scriptures, he had just got finished feeding the 5,000. And so he said, go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now this whole time, the disciples get in a boat and they launch right? And they're going to the other side. So when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long, was a long way from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Okay. Now another thing to understand about Galilee is the way that Galilee was positioned. It was lower than sea level and it was in a valley. 
So if you, if you look up the, the geographical uh, nature of Galilee, storms and wind could descend on it in an instant. So most of the time, when fishermen would get in their boat, they would, they would stay close to the shore, right? Because they knew that in an instant, a storm could come and could, you know, take everybody out. So they would get in their boats, but they would stay close to the shore. <laughs> so they were being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now listen to this, verse, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. <laughs> okay, so it, it's, it's like the Lord will do this to us. He will send you out before right, into a place where a storm could just suddenly come up on you, right? Mm -hmm. And and he's walking on water. He's basically seizing an opportunity to show the disciples a different way of walking. He will send you out before him into into a place where all you know is to operate in the capacity or the mechanisms that you know, like a boat on water, and then he will come at you to show you an opportunity to walk different. Mm-hmm. And it says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, The disciples launch off in this boat, right? And the only way they know to get from one side of the sea to the other is to get in a boat or swim, right? They're not going to swim. They're going to get in a boat. That is the way, that is the natural way they would have walked, right? That's how, that's how you do getting across a sea. You get in a boat, you go across to the other side, right? And knowing that the storms would suddenly come upon them, they had to set up a watch throughout the night because they were crossing at night. So they had to set up a watch, which is natural. If I'm going to fall asleep and there's two of us, we're going to take turns taking watch because there's danger, there's destruction, there's chaos. There's all these things that could just suddenly come upon us and take us out. Right? And he knew that. The Lord knew that. And he sent them out and he just said, I'm going to go pray (laughs) <laughs> while well, they're crossing this lake and they're getting tossed to and fro by the wind and the, and the chaos, right? Now, what happened was, is out of their own capacity, right? Because God wants to get us thinking on another level. He wants to get us above the storm. He wants to get us no longer subject to the chaos anymore, mm-hmm. okay? So in their capacity, when they saw him walking on water, when they saw his walk and they didn't recognize it, their own capacity was, they, they were trying to, trying to recognize him through the capacity of an earthly mind, and they thought it was a ghost. They thought it was like a, a walking dead guy, an apparition, a vision. They were terrified because they, I mean, the disciples of Christ, mm-hmm. right? They were like, is that a ghost? And they're freaking out. And this was during the fourth watch. Now, what happened was, is they're terrified, not because of that, only because of that, but because the storm was so bad, they're terrified, right? They're freaking out. And instead of initiating another watch for relief, what relieved them was another walk, 
Like a different type of walk is what relieved them because ultimately he, he showed himself for who he was. They recognized him and he helped them. Mm-hmm. Right? And then when Peter recognized that, he said, command me to go out on the water. And Peter started walking on water. So what's, in, what's interesting about this is you can look at this in the context of where God's calling us to go is when we, when we operate in blood versus blood, which is going to cause breaches, when we operate in, in kingdom dynamics, when we operate in resurrection life, it's going to cause breaches. When you start to operate in the ministry of reconciliation and you see them as opportunities, it's your walk that is so foreign to people that is going to bring them relief outside of their normal context of how you operate. Mm-hmm. Right? People are setting up watches because they just, that's the only thing they can do is watch the destruction one person after another. All they can do is take watch over the chaos one person after another, and then we just take turns watching the chaos. Mm-hmm. And we think that's going to bring relief. Okay, I did my watch. Now you do your watch. And then I get a little bit of relief still in the midst of the storm, though, when really what's going to happen when we start walking out, when we start walking in him, we're walking in such a foreign way. People can't recognize it. People will look at you and try to formulate what you are inside the box of an outward appearance of something they've been used to before. Right. And when we start walking in him, it's like approaching people looking like you're walking on water and you help them out of a situation where they no longer have to stand watch over it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They no longer have to pass the baton. Okay, now you watch it now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I can we can we could share testimonies just in this place. We could share testimonies in this place over time of when this underground work was happening, right? People were looking at the outward appearance. They were trying to formulate what are you, who are you, where did you come from? And they were trying to put us into the box of the capacity that they could understand from a different place. And we looked foreign, right? And then the storms would come and people are taking watch. And when you start walking in a different way, you're coming like a foreigner. You're coming like a ghost, like a dead person, right? And they can't recognize you until you represent Christ and you start walking a different way and you pull them from down there up to a whole new level to the, where they start walking in him. And you're above all that. You can sleep in the midst of that. You don't have to stay up and stand watch anymore. I don't have to say, Jason, now you watch, I'm going to watch. She's going to watch, and this chaos just continues to happen. Hmm. Put my Bible. (laughs) Right? Think about, think about the Lord is calling us to walk in a different way. He's causing us to carry that, that in a different way. And literally, he would walk 20 miles a day. Right. He would he would walk literally the earth in his lifetime. And this was all public ministry. This was uh, let me let me read some other facts about Galilee. The physical location of Galilee was rich in fruitful soil. It had the finest grapes, the most excellent oil an abundance of wheat and fish and produced and supplied regionally. It was a hub for global commerce and travel. 
Okay? And this is the place that he chose to do his walking, his public ministry. 70% of his public ministry, his lifetime he walked a lot, but in the three years of his public ministry, 70% of it was done in this place. Okay, now Galilee is important because it's not like we have to picture ourselves there, but symbolically what the Lord is trying to say is that we are we are in a place that's rich in soil. It's rich in fish. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. If yeah. you're born again, you're in a place that produces fruit that could supply a region. Yep. Right? It's rich in wheat. It's rich in harvest. It's rich in abundance. The most excellent oil, the finest grapes is all in you. There's Galilee in you, and he's asking you to walk it out and do your public ministry in this place where the globe intersects. But if we don't understand the foundation, if we don't locate ourselves with what the Father's been doing, if you don't know what he did for you, if you don't know what the foundation is, if you don't know what his blood means, if you don't know what reconciliation means, then, you're, then what are you walking out? What are you producing for the region? Right? What are we doing? So we have to understand these things so that when we, when we walk it out, we understand the commitment that that really is. Because if I guarantee if you start walking out a standard that you're not familiar with, if you start saying Christ and you're not familiar with what that means, if you start saying, I carry the blood of Christ, but you're really not operating in that, then what are you representing? It's not the finest grapes. It's not the abundance of wheat and fish. It's not the finest oil. Right? And you may be producing something regionally, but it's not him. So there may be people that are operating in that storm, right? All they know to do is to get in a boat and to take watch over the chaos that's happening because a storm is going to suddenly come upon them, right? And Yeshua knew this about the disciples. That's why he sent them out. He sent them into the midst of it so that he could come along and take an opportunity to show them a different way to walk. Just like, just like I would do with my children, there may be situations where I would send my children into either a harmful or a tough situation and let them go into it because I want them to experience the chaos and take an opportunity to show them how to walk in a different way so that they're no longer subject to it. Mm -hmm. I remember a prayer meeting where there were, pro there were people prophesying over children. And a parent stood up and said, it's just not safe. I don't appreciate it. And I don't, I want to keep our kids safe. And so if we're not really intimate, I don't want you speaking a word over my child. Right? And it's not so much that issue. What I saw was we are so, we want to just bubble wrap our kids, right? We want to, we want to keep our children safe, right? Our God is not a God that wants to put you in bubble wrap and just keep you safe and not let anything touch you, right? If you're a disciple of his and you follow him, he's going to send you into a place where a storm can just suddenly come upon you, right? You he's going to let you go out with an assignment and he knows you're going to fulfill it, but he's going to let you experience the storm so that he can take the opportunity to literally walk on water and show you, Oh, I can walk that way to where I'm no longer subject to this. Mm -hmm. So the old mindset was, was, you know, I, I just, I don't know if I would want anyone to speak over my children versus I welcome a wrong word because then we can teach them discernment. 
so they're not subject to the words regardless. That's what no fear looks like. That's what being in him looks like. It's not so much I need all of the words to come at my kids perfectly. It's I'm not afraid of a wrong word because we're going to we're going to we're going to grind that out and then not be subject to it. And I just felt like when you were talking about watch to walk that that in that in what that in that Jesus went up the mountain. He got a higher perspective. Then he came to earth where ministry was, and he basically taught people to walk a different way. And what I feel like where that is, is in us, there is a wheel that is beginning to bubble and stir a revolution to where we're moving from that high perspective to be able to walk in a manner of action. And, and I know that Amber and Jason were picking up on it because the last prayer watch that they just released, they said, but there's something different about this one. There's like an action to it. I mean, some of them were physically walking around our home. There's an, there's an aspect to where we've been, where we've seen from the mountain, like Jesus did, being up on that mountain, seeing a different perspective. And now it's time for us to go into that place of revolution. Let that stir in us to be able to teach others to walk a different way based on what we've seen. And that walking is on water. It's not just walking a different way. It's on water. When he's talking about a different way, it's like the only way, right? Think about it. The only way to go from one side of a lake to the other is by boat or some type of motor. I, when you think about that, again, bringing that and applying it to your life, you're going to be bringing answers to people, not because you told them to do it, but because you're going to walk it first by example, and they're going to be like, I don't understand what is going on. You're, I don't, I've never seen this before. You're walking on water, and then you're going to help them to do the same thing. And it comes from that high perspective. Amen? So there's two things to, do, to this to just boil it down. One is that when a standard's presented and you don't walk it out, it just leads to lawlessness. If I come representing the standard of Christ in his blood, but I don't walk it out, I'm going to leave that person in a state of lawlessness. I'm not representing the kingdom. The second part of this is that when you, when you walk these things out, don't think of it literally in terms of, of uh, walking on water, but literally what people are going to see is that your life, you live your life in a way that you're not subject to a storm. You're not subject to just watching the chaos around you. You you walk in a way that you're not affected by it, right? How many of us struggle with that when you have a situation and you just feel subject to the situation, right? They were they were subjected to the storm, but they weren't submitted to it. After he showed them how to walk different. Right? And like I was saying a few minutes ago, there's testimonies in this room where, and I'm sure people would, would, would identify themselves to it or admit to it or talk about it, is where people looked at us 10 years ago, us, and said, what, what are you? Who are you? What are you doing? You look like you're dead, right? It looks like there's no growth. What are you doing? And the underground work that was taking place, he was subjecting us to storms. He was subjecting us to chaos and showing us how to walk a different way yes. to where now the same people that looked at us and criticized before are now coming around and saying, what is it? How are you walking not subject to what you're being subjected to? Mm -hmm. 
And ultimately, what I was feeling about that wheel, remember when he talked about Paul? Paul touched the wall, got into prison, then he was subject to a watch. So the twisted version of a watch is prison guards watching you be in prison. And he said, ultimately, it doesn't matter, get in your box because the earthquake's gonna come, prison doors are gonna open and you're gonna walk out. What's happening is, is that we're moving from a place of just watching like a guard would over people in prison, setting up watches where you're watching all of that, but you're beginning to, out of the wheel and revolution within us, you're gonna begin to create an earthquake that's gonna open up prison doors. And it's gonna come from walking on water, not by just imitating the guard, right? So, that, so just thinking about that, that when you're operating in, in, out of that place, right? Everything's multidimensional. When you're operating out of that place, it's gonna start sending earthquakes, amen? We have, this is what I think, I think is going to happen. We'll see. But tonight we talked about walking in him. We're going to let that marinate, right? Because when blood versus blood came, we were like, yeah. And then it kind of like, what does walking on water look like, right? This is what it means when we do this once a month, we get to marinate in this and really apply what walking on water looks like from that high place. And what is that earthquake going to begin to happen? But what I, what, what I feel may happen is next week is going to be community awareness, and we're going to be going down to Awaken. We may be speaking more on the walk, right, from, like the, from the community's perspective, because like Missy said, we're going to begin to get loud, and we're actually going to walk. We're going to be leaving, and we're going to be going to a place where they may be, they're going to need people walking on water, right, because awakening is happening, Revolution is happening, right? And we're going to need to be able to walk with that perspective and that mindset. So we might get into a little bit more. The reason why I say that is because I have a feeling that what is going to end up happening is to be able to walk on water, you're going to have to be able to be holy. He's attracted to holiness. I want you guys to look at the building of the home as multidimensional. We are talking about that first level, but I also want to know that there's a first level being built in you. Yahweh lives in your temple. And we'll get into that scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. The holy of holies. Do you not know that your bodies are a living temple? So as we are building a home and a structure and a model for the nations, it ultimately comes out of the home being built in you. Because when he lives in you, only when you're righteous, not self-righteous, but righteous in him, there's a holiness that comes that he is able to live in. When he does you become him, word becomes flesh, you can walk on water. So there, I don't know exactly how this is gonna pan out, but as we begin to talk about some of these things and being able to walk in him, one of the things, and I don't know if it's the first thing, but one of the things we're gonna be hitting on is the law of righteousness because there's a real holiness which goes back to that Hebrews uh, 6, 11. I think it was that last one, repentance. And what that really means to build a home as the foundation within us to produce that holiness for Yahweh to come and live in so that you can permeate his aroma and who he is so we can walk on water to show people a different way because it's his way.